0: We do need a What's the Res hat and maybe a What's the Res t shirt. Would you wear one? Well, yes. I thought I was getting a t
1: shirt for being on this episode. Am I not?
0: Well, wow. we're not quite there yet. Maybe if we finally get that merchandising deal worked out. I mean, I, I'll bet we could even get one with like Jordan Peterson riding a lobster wearing our What's the Res hat as the limbum on a t shirt. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think it'd be
1: great. I have a number of friends who are t shirt printers and. Um, Advertising product specialist. I'm sure I could work out some deal with someone on some great you know, t-shirts.
0: Yeah, you know, I bet Frank White would make that for us. I, I bet he would. He would. We, we'll have to let him know that we gave him a shout out on the show.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, he sold his business. So What?
0: He, he's not in the printing business anymore? No, he's retired. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's what we're what we supposed to
1: do. But MediaWorks would have been oh, a great... They, they would have. have they would they have, have helped would have. us, I'm well, sure.
0: Uh, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of What's the res an ongoing discussion about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring, and I am a debate coach and humanities instructor at Thales Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. And uh, this is a very special episode. This is part of our attempt to discover where debate happens in public life. We've done previous episodes looking at the public debate between Jordan Peterson and Slavoj Zizek. We've looked at uh, viewpoint discrimination in terms of debate at Cornell University, and uh, do keep an eye out for our coming episodes on the Democratic presidential nominee debates, doing analysis and commentary after those debates are concluded. We're going to try very hard not to predict anything that might happen at those, because that kind of prediction never goes well. But today we're going to look at debate in a uh, specifically different region, and that's looking at a section of American Religious Life. And I am thrilled to be able to welcome my dad onto the show, Dr. Philip Herring. He finished his doctorate in education from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2016, 2017?
1: 2018.
0: 2018! I'm sorry, 2018. He is the Minister of Education at First Baptist Church of Norfolk in Norfolk, Virginia. He is also, uh, currently as of this recording at least, and hopefully ongoing into the future, a member of the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, which makes him a residence expert on the Southern Baptist Convention. And today, our topic is debate ends the, the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Uh, I'm going to refer to him as Dad for the remainder of the show, but Dr. Herring is going to help us uh, to understand just what happens with Southern Baptist and debate and why is debate so important for the way the Southern Baptist Convention operates and has evolved into its current iteration in American life. Dad, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that introduction and good to be with you today.
0: Ah, so glad you could join us. Well, uh, I suspect that most of our listeners, uh, hopefully a, a few will tune in because they recognize your name, but most of our listeners are uh, are probably outside of the Baptist world, and sometimes the Baptist world is a little strange. Could could you help us with a, a just a very brief uh, introduction to what, what, what should people know about Southern Baptist life, and what is this thing called the Southern Baptist Convention?
1: Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is a Coalition or a uh, a voluntarily organized group of churches who choose to participate together for the purpose of missions. Uh, Maybe one of the unique things about Southern Baptist, for some of your listeners, would be that Southern Baptist churches are autonomous churches, or they're self-governed or self-ruled. So as opposed to the Catholic church or even Methodist or Episcopal churches that have more of a hierarchical structure where there is a bishop or superintendent that oversees groups of churches, and where there is a centralized um, leadership uh, to a convention of churches or a group of churches, a denomination. Uh, Southern Baptists are this convention of churches, but they choose to voluntarily cooperate with one another, primarily for the purpose of missions, uh, for the purpose of the spread of the gospel around the world. Uh, Southern Baptists came to uh, determine years ago that they could probably do more together in that arena than they could each working independently.
0: And that same uh, organization is also they're they're also part of establishing four five six denominational seminaries as well. Is that is that also part of the Southern Baptist Convention?
1: That is correct. Uh, Southern Baptists do choose again their cooperation and working together uh, in terms of their pooling their funding for missions. That includes six uh, theological seminaries that are spread out across the country.
0: That's uh, that, that's really helpful. And uh, we're, we're both, of course, graduates of those institutions. I'm over at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And right. uh, Dad, where, where, where did you go to seminary once upon a time?
1: I went to seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in New Orleans. And so I'm a graduate of that institution with my master's in divinity degree. And then pursued by Doctor in Education at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.
0: Well, as uh, Dr. Aiken might say, you came over to the right Seminary by the time you were ready to look for that terminal degree.
1: Dr. Akin would be very happy about that. Yes he would.
0: <laughs> well uh, <clears throat> let, let's get back on, on track. Uh, so uh, debate seems to play a particular role in, in Southern Baptist life but, and I think that that primarily happens at the annual convention. Uh, Now that convention is made up of representatives or messengers sent from each of those different denominations. You mentioned a moment ago that there's a a unique authority structure within Southern Baptist life where each Southern Baptist church is autonomous. We don't have a a bishop system like other uh, religious groups do. But So does that sort of equality within the, these different churches that are all sending messengers, does that sort of equality lend itself well towards debate in, in, at the Southern Baptist Convention?
1: It does. When the convention gathers, there are two days a year that uh, the convention is in session uh, in June, uh, the second week of June each year. We gather at an uh, assigned or a decided location years in advance. Uh, this year it will be in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, in the second week of June. When we gather at the convention, uh, there are a number of decisions that are made at the convention, and and there are a number of uh, resolutions that will be brought up, they'll be voted on, that give Southern Baptists an opportunity to speak into the culture issues of our day. As uh, regarding your question, uh, there is a sense of equality, because it's not that a larger church has so many more messengers than a smaller church, Uh, there is this sense of Uh, equality where each church has the opportunity to have representation at the convention Uh, and there is a freedom to speak at the convention there is a an organized structure at some of the business sessions there are public microphones that are able to be recognized and a messenger from any church in the Southern Baptist Convention, if time allows, will have an opportunity to speak to a particular issue of their concern. Again, given time restraints.
0: Well, let's let's walk through some of those particulars because, of course, the uh, each year the convention publishes a schedule so everyone knows when those business sessions that you mentioned are, are happening. And I remember the uh, the the two conventions that I've been able to attend; those business sessions were, at least in my mind, the most interesting part of the of the convention. Because you never quite know what's going to happen. How exactly does the uh could could you walk us through a hypothetical uh moment where in the convention in a business meeting where perhaps a resolution has been brought forward and people for or against that resolution uh, bring forth their thoughts and the perspectives of the churches that they're representing? How how practically does this work out?
1: Well, it it would uh be important to understand as well at the convention that's Uh, There is a process by which a resolution actually makes its way to being voted on. Uh, There will be a section or time assigned in the business session where uh, messengers are allowed to uh, propose um, actions that they would like for the convention to take. And sometimes those are in the form of a resolution. Uh, There are other actions that they could take. A messenger could come to the mic and suggest that we have these six seminaries, but... Uh, One of them is struggling and they could say we would recommend that we close down this particular seminary and we consolidate with another. We have five seminaries. Just again, hypothetically speaking, someone could make that recommendation. Uh, That would first have to be voted on on the floor of the convention in terms of whether we would even receive that to be considered. At that point, if it were accepted that we would consider that um, recommendation to study that or to make some determination of future action, That uh, information would be um, passed on to the executive committee, of which I'm a part, and there are 88 uh, executive committee members or trustees for the Southern Baptist Convention. And it would be assigned to a particular committee there to begin examining that issue to determine if it was a legitimate concern, if it was a real need. And if action were to be taken, then it would return to the convention the next year uh, as an item that was being brought from the executive committee back to the convention then a member of the convention uh, or members of the convention would vote on that. But a part of that process would be some debate over the issue. And so there would be time allotted for discussion of this particular issue. Uh, At that point, there would be individuals who would know that they wanted to speak to or for or against this particular issue. They would be allotted uh, really just a matter of a couple of minutes probably. Mm. So it's going to be very short. um, But there effort is going to be to persuade uh, 12, 15, 20, 25,000 messengers, depending on how many people are at the convention, to vote in favor of or against whatever this particular action or resolution may be. So uh, it's important that someone be able to speak, be articulate, uh, to be uh, logical, to make sense, uh, to be persuasive in their speech, Uh, and it does matter. how a person represents themselves, how they speak for or against an issue.
0: Now, have you, and you've been to many conventions over the years, I know, have you seen uh, moments where uh, you might have thought, you thought that the convention was going one way, but then there was that mo- there was a brief speech given at such a microphone that really seemed to either sway the convention or open up a wider space for the alternate view that ultimately... Uh, really kind of rose to a bit more prominence in the convention's thought have you have you seen any such moments
1: well the, the most recent one that comes to mind for me was last year's convention uh, the committee who has responsibility for the program at the convention for who will speak or different preachers or music or different things that'll be on the program that group that group made um, the decision to make an invitation, extend an invitation, or respond actually to an invitation to Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence. And that was a most divisive issue on the floor of the convention. It seemed to be divided across um, generational lines, Um, but there were some people who felt very strongly that uh, that was a wonderful opportunity to hear from the Vice President of the United States. There were others who were very opposed to that, And there were moments on the floor of the convention that was a um, element of the program that had to be voted on at the beginning of the convention that he would be allowed to speak. So consequently, he was allowed to speak at the convention, but it was a divisive moment. Uh, However, the majority of the convention did vote in favor of moving forward with that um, part of our program. And uh, so the convention spoke And people responded to that, and we moved on with the convention.
0: That's also a really great example of some of the ways in which the Southern Baptist policy or governmental structure reflects the ongoing tension in Baptist life that comes way back from 500 years ago with the uh, really the disagreement within the mainstream view that church and state ought to work hand in hand. And really, that the the, uh, the Anabaptist movement was one of the first religious movements to say, no, the state can do whatever it wants, but we, as we Anabaptists, we're going to do what we believe Scripture calls us to do. And really, that that I found that I, I watched that uh, that moment in the convention with a lot of interest last summer because that really was a great place to see. You had a lot of folks who said, oh, we should welcome a mem- a high-ranking member of the government who seems favorable to the Southern Baptist causes. While others really saw that as a cheap political stunt and a way of uh, already softly, lo- softly moving towards the 2020 presidential election.
1: Right, because there, there certainly would be some that have great anxiety about appearing to be endorsing any political candidate. And so there were many there who felt like the presence of any political candidate was um, a tacit endorsement of that individual or that party.
0: So the, kind of, the moment you're describing is one where representatives of 44,000 churches are gathered and any one of these representatives can stand and by following the proper procedure has the opportunity to persuade the entire body towards what he believes to be the right course of action.
1: That is correct. Again, with limitations, uh, we do operate by Robert's Rules of Order and so we adopt at the beginning of the convention a schedule uh, of all of the events that will happen at the convention. And so there are time restraints at each one of these business sessions. So no one's going to get up and preach a sermon. I mean, there, again, there will be, uh, well, there are sermons preached, but not at the microphone for business sessions. So <laughs> during, during the business session, uh, you know, a person is going to be limited again to a minute, maybe a minute and a half uh, in terms of their opportunity to speak to a particular motion or to speak to a resolution that is being brought forth to the convention.
0: So much of that seems to parallel what we see in competitive debate a lot, where there are certain conventions, there are certain procedures that are followed for particular reasons. Uh, one such event is a congressional debate that also follows Robert's Rules of Order and is governed by the presiding officer who's overseen by the parliamentarian. Uh, and, and really that parliamentarian and the presiding officer become, uh, they are crucial to a good congressional debate. When you have a bad PO, uh, sometimes the Congress members tend to kind of run the ship rather than uh, fulfilling their correct roles. Does the, does the uh, convention parliamentarian play an important role in, in overseeing this whole procedure?
1: He does. Uh, the convention is presided by the president, uh, the elected president of the convention. So um, it will be one of the messengers is elected to be the president of the convention each year. Uh, typically, that's a pastor. It does not have to be a pastor, but typically it is a pastor. And so generally these are people who have some experience overseeing some kind of business meetings that in churches or church conferences. Uh, however, this is on a grand scale. Again, this is tens of thousands of people that are gathered together. And it's a large platform and uh, would be a very uncomfortable thing to be responsible for without a parliamentarian. So Barry uh, McCarty has been the uh, parliamentarian for the convention for... Uh, more than a decade i'm not sure how long he has done that he's a professor at southwestern seminary but he just this is his specialty it seems and he is always on the stage during the business session he stands just a few feet behind the uh, presiding officer or the president and if there is a question about the correct procedure it is his responsibility to know what is in order what's out of order what's the next step to do and he will just step aside or the president will step aside and confer with him but he will advise him on what is appropriate or the next step.
0: And that really becomes a key part of, like any debate, keeping the whole thing running on time and, right. and keeping it confined. Because, uh, I, I remember uh, one specific, one of my favorite moments in the convention was when uh, a convention favorite, uh, a gentleman named Wiley Drake, came forward and he proposed the, uh, that the convention affirm the praying of imprecatory psalms upon America's national enemies. And for those who are, may not be familiar with those, the imprecatory psalms are poems in the Old Testament that are particularly focused on asking God to specifically punish Israel's national enemies. And those those psalms are particularly interesting in a lot of ways. This resolution was asking for the, uh, literally uh, asking the convention to affirm cursing America's military opponents with the very force of God. And it got rather dicey, because suddenly there were about, I don't know, 15, 20 pastors who rose to stand in opposition to what Mr. Drake had, had proposed, and the parliamentarian had to rather firmly let everyone know, the time for discussion has elapsed. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that was, that was As, critical.
1: And that's exactly what happens. I mean, there it, it, we do keep it uh, on track and in order, and it's an orderly convention, and it's an amazing thing. And even in that setting, um, I think that did in that business session, I was there for that. But in other uh, situations, we've been in moments where uh, the proper way to deal with that matter is someone can bring a motion that we extend, uh, that we amend our schedule to allow for 10 more minutes of the business session. And so... Uh, and they will have to address where that 10 minutes is coming from, you know, at a later event, that's something else that we will bypass, but it is, it is appropriate and it is possible to call for uh, a vote to extend the time of the business session. If the body so chooses that that's the way they want to use their time.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, uh, dad, help our, help our listeners know, are there, uh, now? the convention often is dealing with kind of internal affairs and these sorts of resolutions. I know, one I remember being particularly interesting, I think it was two thousand twelve, was a question of whether the convention should rename itself, being the Southern Baptist Convention. seemed uh, the argument was that it was a particularly regional name. Uh, I, I remember the uh, Global Baptist was a contender, and Great Commission Baptist, Baptist was another contender. Was that New Orleans? That was New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, we were that, there that together. Was, we were. Uh, that was. That was. I uh, remember we, we had quite a lot of fun, kind of like you showed me some fun parts of the French Quarter as well. We had beignets at Cafe du Monde, I think. We did, we did. That, that uh, for any Southern Baptist listening, uh, hopefully you know the name Cafe du Monde and its place in Southern Baptist legend as the, the birthplace of the conservative resurgence and the place for some of the best chicory coffee you will ever taste. So, and not being
1: a coffee drinker, I would not know. And that, but I'll it, take your word for it.
0: It was as dark and as bitter as Friedrich Nietzsche's soul. I mean, it was good coffee. But be as it may, uh, they—I uh, had a point there, and I don't quite remember what it was. The changing
1: of the name of the convention. That's right.
0: Thank you. So uh, we were looking. That was more of an internal concern. Does the Southern Baptist Convention ever uh, look, ever use this debate process to really address kind of? Uh, sort of political concerns or activist concerns, ways to use, even if it can't directly act, even to indicate this is the view of the Southern Baptist Convention. We affirm this or we negate that. Yes,
1: yes. The answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, One of the things that I didn't mention earlier, I said that Southern Baptists use um, their joint funding or they pool their resources uh, voluntarily for the purpose of missions. Um, and that is true both uh, domestically here in the United States or North America and uh, around the world. We also do that for the purpose of seminary education, but there is another entity that Southern Baptist support and it's called the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, headed by Dr. Russell Moore. That entity has the responsibility for really being the public voice for Southern Baptist uh, in the culture. And so a part of the uh, ERLC's role and i don't know if they would say this in this official way or not but is um, somewhat that of a lobbyist in the sense that um, folks at the erlc do uh, have relationships with uh, members of congress and the senate uh, for the purpose of representing southern baptist voices and opinions on issues uh, that we believe uh, the bible speaks to directly and that we believe matter to our culture one of those And probably most well-known for many people uh, where Southern Baptists would be concerned would just be our advocacy for life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, yes, in this sense, uh, there will generally be resolutions that have been prepared. Uh, They've usually been recommended at one convention. They've been studied or examined by members of the executive committee. uh, And some wording of a resolution has been carefully crafted and formed and then brought as an action step for the convention to be able to pass a resolution affirming or um, speaking against a particular action in our culture. Uh, We have spoken against racism publicly for a number of years. Uh, We've spoken against issues of social injustice for a number of years and on many occasions, have spoken for uh, the causes of life, being opposed to abortion on demand, uh, issues like that that we believe uh, not only affect uh, individual lives, but we also believe uh, ultimately have impact in the culture as well.
0: So, then really, that just to kind of connect some of those dots. That means that one messenger from anywhere in the in the country can really uh, can really help shift or sway the the view of the whole convention, even on these kind of advocacy points that you're describing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, there would be a, a single individual, as a matter of fact, this past year. Uh, there was a an 11 year old i think young man who came to the mic and and brought a recommendation that um southern baptists establish a an annual children's ministry uh, recognition day and in one sense you might think well that's what's that really going to do uh, but the convention unanimously affirmed uh, that action step and uh, so consequently uh, as that was um, followed up with by the executive committee. Um, A resolution was indeed drafted and action steps were taken to place a particular date on the Southern Baptist annual calendar. So we've got an 11 year old who has actually triggered a series of events that will happen between a number of entities, whether it is LifeWay or North American Mission Board or uh, other groups that will be providing resources and emphasis and opportunities for this particular day to happen where there is a recognition of the value of children uh, their role in our church uh, that they're not just there uh, to be trained or to grow up but they also have gifts that we believe they can use and that they serve in the life of the church and they have a role to fill and a place there and so we just elevated children as being of value in our church and those who work with children in our mm. churches so yes uh, one individual that's passionate about a cause certainly can bring that to the convention and if it is something the convention decides together that this is a cause or an issue that we want to support or deny or to speak out against, it can happen.
0: Now, one of the things that I think is I find fascinating about the Southern Baptist Convention, and in full disclosure to our, our listeners, I am a, a uh, lifelong Southern Baptist by both convent, uh, conviction and, and and family heritage. But that being said, one of the things I find fascinating about us as a group, and has also fascinated uh, multiple sociologists and scholars of religion in America is the, uh, the polarity and the ongoing tension between a sort of democratic impulse and a sort of aristocratic impulse in Southern Baptist life. Because it seems that the one hand, uh, what everything you've been describing depends on a democratic equality. You mentioned the size disparity between churches. There are uh, enormous churches with members, membership in the tens of thousands. And you have very small churches with the membership at the low, uh, possibly up to 100 to 250 members, and so on, so on. There's a parity and an equality between those. But at the same time, we have these long standing institutions, these six seminaries that are headed by presidents. And uh, those presidents, in addition, pastors of the largest churches, seem to serve a, as a sort of aristocratic nobility within Southern Baptist life. So, with that as kind of background, I want to. Uh, frame my question this way. Uh, first, uh, would you agree with that analysis or not? And secondly, does this sort of debate allow for a democratic conversation with the aristocratic principle if that analysis holds?
1: State that question. Yeah. Re- restate that. That was for a you. really convoluted question. Okay. I apologize for a long time. The long answer question. to the first part is yes. I would agree with your statement. Okay, okay. so second part. <laughs> okay,
0: good. Uh, then in that case, if we can accept that kind of metaphoric analogy, does this sort of debate at the convention allow for the democratic element of Southern Baptist life to converse with the aristocratic side of Southern Baptist life?
1: It, it does, absolutely. Um, that element is there. And, and no doubt there are people that uh, are in leadership that's uh, across the convention, obviously, that are pastors of larger churches or, or members or staff members in, in some of our larger churches but I think that that just represents the fact that um, those individuals certainly have maybe a broader sphere of influence at times and maybe have uh, greater greater follower, followership and um, potentially maybe leadership giftedness is a part of that. And so you do see a number of those uh, individuals there. But I would say that uh, at the same time, there is a keen awareness that um, you know, your, your largest of churches represent a very small percentage of all Southern Baptist churches. And there are intentional efforts made consistently to have wide representation on all trustee boards or agencies or um, our seminary trustees, those kinds of things to make sure that our representation is not just limited to one, as you used, aristocratic group of leaders, uh, but instead broadly represented. I think one of the most interesting things over the past uh, decade, I would say at least, it's been longer than that, but just my awareness, particularly in terms of Southern Baptist political life uh, have been the very intentional efforts to make sure that our convention entities and agencies, um, uh, those boards of trustees that uh, oversee or govern those uh, groups are represented by a broad diversity, uh, both men and women, uh, all ethnicities represented in those, in those different agencies and, and groups. And so uh, yes, the convention does allow for this coming together of these two groups of people Um, yes and the opportunity for uh, the smaller church to have what feels like just as equal of a voice you know as a much larger church
0: yeah i'm going to ask you an awkward question okay and if you if you want me to at the end of this i will happily edit this out but i'm going to pose it anyway Uh, since you mentioned uh intentional efforts to uh, really diversify some of those um can we call them power power positions sure. or, or positions of uh, intentional named influence or right. positions of title, maybe, um, and particularly in terms of racial influence? Would you agree that those roles have been given in such to people in such a way that it does not decrease the quality or the effectiveness of the people in those roles? Meaning that people are not being given roles simply because they are of a certain ethnicity but they are being given those roles because they are highly qualified for those roles, and they also help to expand the access to those positions of power across different ethnic groups.
1: I would agree with that. I don't think we have uh, any kind of a quota system in Southern Baptist life saying we have to fill this position with this particular race or ethnicity, so we will take someone who maybe is not as qualified, but they're qualified racially, Uh, I don't think that uh, really exists. But I do think there are tremendous efforts that are made to say we need to uh, have our uh, entities, uh, our agencies, our boards uh, to be reflective of who are all of Southern Baptists. If you look at the makeup of Southern Baptists across the board, and with uh, uh, more than 46,000 churches now, Uh, that are part of the convention. It is a broad, broad mix. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest growth that's taken place in Southern Baptist life in the last decade have been in ethnic works uh, Mm. that were outside of Caucasian or primarily Caucasian churches, um, that those churches um, need to be in a place where they find equal representation.
0: Oh, well, that's really exciting to hear, and that's uh, that. That's really fascinating to kind of see. It's it's been fascinating to watch uh, both at conventions and also during the seminary conversations, as really the as the Southern Baptist Convention kind of works to find ways to fairly represent all of those different groups while also maintaining the the character of the convention as a whole. Now, oh, I'm sorry. Do you have a? No, you? no, no. Okay. That's fine. All right. Uh, The last uh, real question I wanted to uh, ask you uh, was that does this kind of debate, and we've been talking about uh, internal uh, internal convention politics, we've looked at ways that debate then affects kind of outside politics, does this idea of debate also come into the way Southern Baptists understand theology?
1: It does. Uh, And by that, I would say that uh, we are not governed by popular opinion. We're not governed by, uh, you know, the world's way of thinking, particularly. Um, One of those uh, examples or issues would be the issue of same-sex marriage. Um, Southern Baptists uh, have traditionally, well, are, certainly Southern Baptists are on the side of Um, traditional marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman. We hold to that, not because we think, well, that's that's just good. That's just best for everyone. Uh, That would be a biblical value. And so we do not feel free to say, just because I feel this way or because I have this opinion, uh, that we're going to shift what our churches have traditionally believed. But instead, we would say that we're guided by the Bible, by the word of God. And so that there are some absolutes and there are some fixed truths that will continue to be a part of who we are, Southern Baptists, and will guide or oversee uh, where those boundaries and where those limitations are as a convention that we would go.
0: Well, that makes an awful lot of sense, and it makes me wonder, is that part of the convention's commitment to theological education, in this sense, of, of really equipping the next generation of theological leaders not only to hold these certain convictions that are part of Baptist identity, but also to be able to articulate the rationale behind those convictions. Much in the same way that I would tell any of my debate students, it's great that you have that argument, but you have no evidence. You have no warrant. You have nothing to back it up. You must be able to sustain this argument if you expect to do well at a tournament. Is it also important for Southern Baptist pastors and leaders to be able to justify these convictions that you've said are so central to Baptist identity?
1: Absolutely, and, and Baptists have long been referred to or known as people of the book. So uh, we would uh, have a high view of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, uh, that it is God's Word to us. Uh, directly, and that we are not free to change what it says, again, based on public opinion. So uh, we value that greatly. And so from uh, within the context of our churches and within this convention of churches, yes, we would start uh, with the Bible as our foundation for our authority for living. And so it would be from there that we would um, uh, maintain and hold some of our deepest convictions. And uh, we're not trying to win a popularity contest. Uh, and uh, and other, con- other churches may find uh, feel the same tension, no doubt, other denominations. And so we find ourselves juxtaposed to other denominations at times um, in our world uh, who would also claim to be followers of Christ, but who would say, we once believed this. Now we've changed our opinion and we believe something else. We believe the complete opposite of that. So... Um, I don't think you'll find Southern Baptists anytime soon, abandoning their position on abortion. I think that we will continue to be on the side of life. And while I say that, it is not always uh, that it is scripture um, or that it is uh, chapter and verse that we're citing that the Bible says this one thing. Uh, It is often our understanding of principles that we find in scripture. For instance, the uh, debate over uh, life and on abortion. If we're going to speak uh, within the church, one of the ways that we would hold to that position would be from the Genesis narrative of the creation of man. We would say that life has value because the Bible says that we are created in the image of God. And so in the destruction of a life uh, by choice in this sense through abortion, uh, we would be saying that life has value, that life is created by God. Uh, in the popular culture, um, not everyone's going to agree with our foundation of authority being, this is what the Bible says, that we're made in the image of God. Everyone else doesn't believe that. So it may be, I think you had another interview recently with another young lady who was arguing about uh, a pro-life position, but doing it from a medical science perspective of just scientific issues. And that may speak more clearly to the greater public at large.
0: That was our uh, episode with Janique Stewart and, uh, of Life Training International. And uh, she did a great job really explaining her, the foundations of her view from a philosophical and, a, uh, and an embryological scientific perspective rather than her personal convictions. Well, uh, Dad, I, I really appreciate the way you've helped us kind of look at the way that debate is so central to Southern Baptist life. Uh, It's uh, if if we time this episode correctly, it should hopefully air right about the time the one time a year that the entire country actually seems to notice the Southern Baptist Convention, because when this convention happens, uh, suddenly between fifty and one hundred and fifty thousand Southern Baptists from all over the world descend on one major American city.
1: You're being generous with your numbers. It will be more right. like twenty-five to 30,000, maybe. <laughs> well, yes, thank you. Yes. I, uh,
0: you know, math's never been my strong right, suit. That's right. really why I gravitated towards history and literature. But, so, several thousand people will descend on a city, and suddenly, uh, they'll start pushing out the, or publishing out these resolutions. And usually, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, is, uh, there, there, there's write-ups about these in national newspapers. Right. And uh, hopefully this uh, helps our audience have a greater appreciation for what exactly the Southern Baptist Convention is and, and how it works uh, and, uh, and so on. Now, are there any other resources or, or any, uh, any, any other resources that you might want to recommend to our audience if they are intrigued and want to learn more about who these weird Southern Baptist people are and why they believe what they believe and why debate seems to happen amongst them so frequently?
1: Absolutely. Well, I would say that uh, Baptist Press would be the first place that I would suggest that if people want to find out kind of what's going on in Baptist world, uh, there's an app. You can go to baptistpress.com or .org. I'm sure you can search for that. Uh, You can subscribe to a daily uh, email from Baptist Press if you want to just see the headlines in in Baptist life. uh, You can keep up with those uh, those resources. Baptist Press certainly will cover the uh, convention in its entirety. Uh, The convention is uh, publicly aired now via the internet. Um, so it's,
0: uh, SBC.net, if I remember correctly. I believe that's
1: correct. SBC.net is where you would go to tune into that. And the convention itself happens this year uh, during June. I'm looking to be sure I have the dates right in front of me. And it is June uh, 11 and 12 will be the dates of the convention, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we'll be gathered together in Birmingham, Alabama. So the um, I was thinking just a moment that moment ago that the convention size fluctuates from year to year based on um, issues. And sometimes there are very controversial issues. Sometimes it's kind of a a quiet year. And so uh, this year will be an interesting year to tune in to uh, the SBC and to see what's happening. There are a number of issues that kind of are going on uh, in our uh, world and in our culture. Uh, that, um, I'm sure, will be addressed to many of those at the convention this year. We have a new executive director uh, that has just recently been uh, elected by the executive committee. Dr. Ronnie Floyd uh, will now be the new public face and, and public voice of Southern Baptist. Um, the executive committee um, is the Southern Baptist Convention at work for the other 360 three days of the year when the convention is not in session so the executive committee is the one who is tasked with the authority and the fiduciary responsibility for uh, navigating um, several hundred million dollars of Uh, Funds that are directed particularly toward those entities, toward the international and national missions, uh, toward the six seminaries, toward the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission.
0: Well, I suspect, and uh, we don't need to get into this in too much detail because that would require a whole other episode, but uh, I suspect that the convention this year will be focused on the Southern Baptist version of the hashtag MeToo movement. In large part because of the Houston Chronicle series of articles that are looking at uh, terrifyingly horrible, um, just awful uh, uncovering of details of sexual abuse among uh, within Southern Baptist churches. So I'm sure that's going to be a major topic of conversation at this year's convention. Yes,
1: it will, and and particularly because of the very things we started this conversation with, um, how. People who are not from a Southern Baptist background or not from um, an independent type of church sometimes don't understand uh, what this whole autonomy of the local church means. And so for Southern Baptist, uh, again, we're not the Catholic church, so we don't have a pope that can speak and just say, this is what we're going to do. And everyone else Mm -hmm. falls in line with that, uh, in agreement with that. So on this particular issue, uh, there certainly have, uh, this article has spoken to uh, some very painful things that have happened uh, to individuals, not unlike um, the same kinds of abuses that happen at large in our culture, in every other profession, in every other industry. Uh, We certainly have condemned that, denounced that, but uh, the convention will no doubt be addressing issues about what steps we take as individual churches to minimize such things to eliminate that to the extent that that can be eliminated. The other issue I would just say that will be of interest uh, for you because you're in Raleigh is that uh, the elected president of our Southern Baptist Convention is right in your city. Uh, uh, yeah. Dr. J.D. Greer is the pastor of the Summit Church. And so um, he has been followed with great excitement, uh, particularly by much younger Population of our Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Dr. Shout Greer's out dinner. to
0: uh, the Baptist Twenty One folks and yes. the, uh, the, the young Reformed <laughs> and uh, restless crowd from uh, at least uh, uh, those who would at least affiliate with Kevin DeYoung's book. I mean, that's. Yeah, J.D. Greer is a—he's uh, he, an exciting face to see on the convention, and I Wisconsin. believe he's a
1: Southeastern grad.
0: He is. That's—that's. That's, uh, there are many things I love about Southeastern Seminary, and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed J.D.'s preaching the few times I've been able to sit under it. And I'm very excited that he got to be uh, gets to be president of the convention this year. That's yes. It was exciting to see a uh, positive transfer of power uh, from an older generation to a the first of a younger generation, and uh, that that's always a touchy point. That's always a touchy point. I mean, it is a touchy point. I, making that transition, it is, it's troubling on national politics. Uh, I think we're all waiting with bated breath to see what exactly happens with England when the Queen dies.
1: Right. But right. for
0: for Southern Baptist, it was. It, it, there, there certainly are power politics. Definitely involved and and generational considerations come into play quite frequently. So watching that happen at the last election was very exciting.
1: And those are part of those very same things you were just discussing about this somewhat uh, democratic approach that we have to the way our convention is structured. And uh, if there are enough younger people that are engaged in the political process and they favor a younger candidate to be the president, they certainly can and will elect that individual. And so it's not always an age factor, but uh, in this particular case, it was. And it was an amazing thing. You were present when there was a uh, uh, challenging election. We had two runoff elections uh, for the president. It was that close between um, Dr. Steve Gaines and Dr. J.D. Greer. And Dr. Greer graciously asked the convention to elect Steve Gaines by acclamation. And it really allowed him to kind of step back for a couple of years. And then he subsequently was elected to be our president. So uh, it was a very gracious move on his part. And I think one that garnered him a lot of respect uh, on the parts of many uh, to um, not continue to press that issue for a third runoff election. (laughs) Oh
0: my goodness, I'm so glad that that was was finally settled. Well, uh, Dad, if our our listeners want to follow you on Twitter or uh, send you any questions, uh, is there a good way they could contact you that you are willing to give out on the air?
1: Oh, certainly. Uh, The easiest way would be by direct email, I suppose, and that is pherring at firstnorfolk.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-N-O-R-F-O-L-K dot O-R-G. Uh, That would be the simplest. Uh, I'm at Twitter at pherring416 if anyone wishes to follow me, but I'm not the guru of social media, so... um, that's okay. That's not my claim to
0: fame. Oh, that's all right. There are plenty of people who are, and and maybe social media has actually harmed us all far more. And when we're all when we all have rotten brains, you you'll be you'll have the last laugh for being less involved on social media.
1: Can I just have one one final thought? i just about related to debate. I've been listening to What's the Res now since the uh, beginning episode, and oh. have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. Um, yes, one because uh, you, my son, are. Um, uh, heading this up and your counterpart Ethan is doing a phenomenal job um, with helping you with co-hosting this but I uh, would just say because this is particularly related to debate that um, this is an example in a place where debate does continue outside of high school college debate leagues uh, that it is very important for uh, really all people who wish to have influence in our culture to be able to organize their thoughts to be able to think through clearly to be able to speak succinctly um, to be able to speak in a way that other people clearly understand uh, what they are saying Uh, sometimes we can be educated far beyond our ability to communicate and so sometimes a person uses words and vocabulary that other people say i don't know what he just said so i would just would advocate for this uh, this whole arena of um, high school debate uh, recognizing that yes Beyond high school, beyond college, there will be a number of opportunities where you're called upon to or given the opportunity to stand up and speak and make a difference. And from that extemporaneous uh, approach, sometimes you need to be able to think quickly on your feet to be able to articulate your ideas in ways that others can understand them and be willing to follow them and uh, will champion your calls with you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of What's the Res? An ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. This has been a special bonus episode looking at the Southern Baptist Convention in terms of debate as the heartbeat of the Southern Baptist Convention. My guest this episode has been uh, Dr. and Pastor Philip Herring. Uh, he is both, uh, and he's also my dad, so I'm really thrilled that he could be with us on the episode. If you have any questions for us uh, here at What's the Res, or you want to give us any feedback about this episode or any of our other ones, uh, please do send us an email at res at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at whatstherez underscore, or you can always go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for joining us today on this episode, and until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek truth.